Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. Hello, it's Paul, the Ripples guy. I am so excited to be hanging out with a bunch of my Patreon peeps and also some guests. Some of you are watching this live. Some of you are watching the recording that we're gonna upload to YouTube. Hello from the past. And some of you are listening to the Ripples podcast where we're gonna upload this audio. So during the presentation, if I mention putting links in the chat window, please know that um, it is my intention to put the links in the description of where you are watching or listening. And if it ain't there, Google the Ripples guy, you will find me and I will get them to you. I wanna bring my best self to this conversation. So I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna take a couple deep breaths and I'm gonna think here on the inhale and now on the exhale. Why don't you do a couple with me? So good. I am going to set my timer uh, for, so you might hear it ding at me a couple times just to make sure I'm moving things along. We have, have an ambitious uh, agenda and if you are new, what we have our main topic that we're going to explore, compassion fatigue and building boundaries. Usually our format is similar to the weekly ripples emails I send out that have a little pebble boulder ponder. In, in uh, our Zoomy Zooms, the pebble is just a resource that I have that I'm sharing. And I will tell you about a book that I am just, just loving right now that is written by Park, Parker Palmer, On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old. And I have a passage, the last passage that I underlined, um, but let me, before I do that, I'm going to have a link to paste in here in just a second. Let me read this to you. I'm not, ah, yes, now I remember. I'm not the sun at the center of anyone's solar system. If I keep trying to put myself there, insisting that I am special and my life must have some sort of special meaning, I'll die in despair or in delusion. But once I understand that I'm not the sun, I can get out of the sun's way and stop casting shadows. This, uh, if you're not familiar, Parker Palmer actually was a sort of neighbor of mine. He lived in Madison, Wisconsin um, when I lived in Madison and I always wanted to cross paths with him and I never did. And he's written, this is his 10th book and this one is a collection of essays. And so I've been reading just one a day and I'm going to in the chat and, and wherever the liner notes for, for the recording, I'm putting a link to the book and a link to my, the pod, I listened to snippets of several podcast interviews that he did as this book was coming out. And I picked my favorite and put a link in there as well. And then I put the quote that I just read. So that's the pebble. The boulder, shut up. I'm so excited. So the boulder is supposed to be a resource 
that I use, that I'm using either in my work or in my life. And I'm about to reveal this resource because it's a something that Zoom apparently has done for a while that I didn't know about. And it is the ability to use your presentation slides as a virtual background. And I'm just so excited to, to do this for this presentation. So if you are giving, um, if you are a host or co-host of a Zoomy Zoom and you're wanting to share slides, you can certainly do it the standard way of hitting the share screen and up will come a window that has um, desktop, desktop, the different programs you have open. That's under the basic tab. But if you flip over and see something called the advanced tab, the first option is slides as virtual background. And then when you click that, you can go find a, an Apple Keynote file that's presentation files, or you can use a Microsoft PowerPoint. And what it does and what the machine is doing now, so I just set that up, it's opening up my Keynote. It is putting my slides up as a virtual background. So I, the, the slides fill up the whole screen and you can actually just how big you are. So I, I zoom myself up and I move myself over like this. So what I did is my PowerPoint slides are actually taking up the whole back of the screen. But after doing this for the school a month ago, I liked the idea of shrinking my slide and just having it be in the corner like I'm the news reporter. I gotta keep remembering to do that. Um, and just having a little Ripley background behind me. So this is gonna allow me to talk at you and also show you some visuals as well. Shut up, how cool is that? All Very right. nice. Thank you. And we're going to dive right into this topic because we do have a lot of ground I want to cover. Compassion fatigue is a term. It was originally coined uh, back when we were first using the term post-traumatic stress to talk about people who originally the term was people coming back from the Vietnam War. They had used the term shell-shocked um, earlier than that for uh, uh, veterans of earlier wars. And in the treatment of post-traumatic stress, a lot of the researchers were finding that the caregivers that were bringing in people with post-traumatic stress were having symptoms of burnout, were having symptoms of stress as well. And they started uh, calling the of collection of symptoms they were observing secondary stress syndrome or compassion fatigue. And uh, the term is now used to talk broadly about burnout specifically among caregivers. And originally, I will tell you that this presentation was 30 minutes talking about a variety of things, highlighting boundaries. But I want you to know that today I dived so far into boundaries that we're gonna talk primarily about these magical, mystical, wonderful things called boundaries. Um, and in order to get started, I need to teach you something you may not know about yourself. Actually, my guess is today, you're not going to learn anything new. My guess today is that you're going to be reminded of stuff that you know, and that probably you've talked to others or you've said to others, but that we keep forgetting. We human beings are finite. We have a finite amount of time and energy and uh, physical boundaries, we have all kinds of limits. And sometimes we remember that and sometimes we don't. I'll tell you one way that we usually remember our boundaries is when it comes to money. Let's do a quick activity. We're gonna do a pretend fundraiser. Now hear me out, we ain't doing a fundraiser. We're not actually gonna collect money today, okay? 
But let's imagine that someone in the room has just showed up and they mentioned to us that there's something yucky, something awful has happened in the town and they need some resources to help people and the local Red Cross is collecting some funds. And let's imagine that I say, oh my gosh, why don't we really quickly pitch in whoever wants to? And what, and again, we're not doing this, but let's just imagine that I did do that. And I asked you, if you're willing, no pressure, would you like to pitch in some money today? And if you would like to, and if you literally have the funds available, we take credit cards, we take cash, and even these things called checks we used to hand write out. Um, I would love for you, if you're taking notes this way, jot down a number. If, you're, if you've got something to write with, I would love for you to jot down a number that if we were doing this, and as you think about the expenses you've got, maybe other giving, whatever needs to go through your mind, if you'd be willing to give some money, write down an amount. And, and if you aren't willing to give, go ahead and just write down zero for me. Imagine I said to you now, if the number you wrote down is zero dollars, you are a terrible person. Or let's say if your number is less than $50, anyone who gave 50, 50 or more is a good person. And anyone who gave less is just a bad, selfish, terrible, no good person. Now, I'm guessing you know I'm kidding and that I don't believe that. But I suspect that um, we sometimes, where we get this about money, it's not true, by the way. You made a decision about how much dollars to give based on how much you've got right now or, or how much you've already given to other people. And we tend to understand that about money in ways that we don't get about time. If I said, hey, I need your help mm -hmm. with something. A lot of us think, oh, yes, I'm a good person if I say yes. I'm a bad person if I say no. And it ignores the fact that you only have so many minutes a day. You only have so much caring. You almost only have so much bandwidth. One of the reasons we forget that is because even though we're human, we can go beyond our limits for a while at a cost. And the thing is, is if we don't have enough money for something, we can charge it. And even though we can go beyond, if, if, if we have a whole bunch of stuff to do today, but someone right in front of us says, oh, could you walk me to the bus stop really quick? We can actually do it. We, we can even, we just stop doing these other things. We, we can do it for a while at a cost. If we're stretched too thin and we just don't feel like we can do anything else and somebody really needs us, we can do it for a while at a cost. And we have to acknowledge the need for recovery. Because when we run out of time, of energy, of health, we're gonna have to build in some, some time. And what usually happens at first is we get little messages that we need some recovery time. Usually our spirit, our soul will whisper to us. Have you ever had this happen where somebody says, um, hey, Carol, can you help out with this thing a little bit? And then you hear a voice in your head, I need to say no. But then out of your mouth comes, sure, I'll do it. That happened. That was your spirit. That was your soul saying, come on, you're stretched a little thin. And usually we don't listen to that. So then what happens usually is your mind will then get involved and send you a little, uh, you're getting overwhelmed. You're feeling depleted. Maybe you're feeling resentful. A lot of times we plow right through that as well. And so what's left is our body. And that's when... Is it time to start having an ache and pain? Is it a headache? 
Does our immune system say, oh, maybe if we get a cold, maybe that'll help slow her down a little bit? Or do we get accident prone? And our leg says, nope, not going to walk around for a while. Not to say that every sickness or every accident is a message that we're doing something wrong, because of course that's not true. But I think it is true that often our body will, will try to get involved to send us a message. And a lot of times we don't even listen then. And that's the third piece of this that we sometimes need to get into is we need to be willing to ask for help. And sometimes that's help because we're struggling so much. Sometimes it's help me set better boundaries so that I don't get in this mess anymore. And that's what I'm here today to offer. Um, and I promise you, I learned the hard way. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more. So those three slides were from the original slide deck that I had a month ago. And all the rest of these are new because I keep coming up with, Ooh, this is a great way to frame it. What are boundaries? I completely made it. So if you've seen me present on these Zoomy Zooms, you've heard me talk about that a few years ago, I started developing a new way to develop content is when I'm gonna develop a new workshop, my first thing is not to go Google and not to go read or in the old days to go to the card catalog and look up articles and read them. My first thing is if I was giving a talk tomorrow, what would I say? And because I've been talking about boundaries for many, many years and learning about them, my first thought when I was gonna upgrade this presentation was I've never defined boundaries, what are they? And I scribbled this out after two days of walking and practicing structures, that define and protect our needs, our expectations, and our limitations. And what's so cool is then when I did Google boundaries, um, I, I found a lot of these words used in people's definitions. So I, I, I stand by my draft, structures that define and protect our needs, our expectations, and limitations. Um, I also had the word wants in there too, because I think to some extent, um, needs sound like, you know, deal breaker, we have to have these. There's also some room for us. This is, these are things I want. Um, and boundaries can help us identify and communicate what is okay and what is not okay in relationships with others. I will tell you this, when I went and poking around to see how other people were talking about helping people in the helping professions teach boundaries, most of the time they're talking about boundaries helping us in relationship with others. And I just wanna add here, I think it has a powerful ability to impact our relationship with ourselves as well. Because I think a lot of what is underlying our lack of boundaries or not using boundaries is that well, is low self-worth or, or not, not respecting ourselves enough. enough. So I just wanna, I wanna add that in there as well. Um, there are many, many boundary types. The ones that I tend to focus on in presentations for people in the helping professions, time boundaries. We, we have a finite number of minutes in a day. There are a finite number of hours in a week. There are a finite number of days that we're gonna be on this planet. We don't know what that number is, but we know it's finite. Um, emotional boundaries. This idea that you can only care so much. Some people feel like I can just go, 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 and there's all of this in there. Well, that might mean you have a lot, but it doesn't mean it's infinite. And I, I will tell you a couple boundaries I learned. Um, a lot of this came 
from my time as a volunteer and then as a staff member at the AIDS service organization in Madison, where I volunteered and worked way back in the 90s. And one of the things was about taking sick days because my family, we didn't value um, sick days were for lazy people. My grandma said, Polly, we didn't have sick days on the farm. You go to work. And when it come time for grade uh, uh, report card time in our household, we, we got little extra dollars um, allowance money for good grades. You know, an A got us a couple extra dollars and B got us a little something, nothing for C. Don't even act like that's a thing. Um, but the other thing we got was a little extra treat if we had a, a perfect attendance record for the year at the end of the year. And I had, I believe, nine of those over the years because I was involved in scouting. I was, so, so those sort of excused absences didn't count. Um, oh, there's my alarm. Hold on just a second. I'm going to reset for another. There we go. Um, and then when I grew up and went to college and time for work afterwards, I was managing residence halls. And you can't take a sick day because students are going to need you. And so... Both of my early bosses were kind of people that didn't tend to take sick days. And um, I was 27 years old, still living in the residence halls and starting to get burned out in my job. And this place, AIDS Network, that I had been working or volunteering for years asked me to join their management team. And on the first day of staff training of orientation, they said, by the way, if you come to work sick, you could kill somebody. And this was back in the days before protease inhibitors, before any of the many, many drugs that are helping people with HIV and AIDS um, improve their immune system. But back then, all of our clients were probably gonna pass away in less than two years. And they were all at potential for getting very sick very quickly. So they said, if you're sick, you will stay home. And I knew that intellectually as a volunteer, I had been taught well. If you wake up with a sore throat, you can't drive the client to the hospital or to a doctor's appointment, even if that means they'll have to use some of their, their, their spare dollars for a cab or if they'll miss their appointment because it's that important. So I understood it intellectually. But then when I woke up two weeks later with a scratch in my throat, my first thought is you can't call in work. You can't call in sick two weeks into a new job. They're gonna think you're lazy and, or they're gonna find out you're lazy. <laughs> And then I thought, or am I gonna go to work and possibly kill somebody? So I stayed home and I discovered many things. I discovered Oprah, love her to this day. <laughs> I discovered when you stay at home, when you're a little sick, you don't always have to get big sick. Did you know this? Like not all sicknesses explode into awfulness when you listen, when it's a little tickle. And then when I did go back to work, they were like this. Oh, you were out? They hadn't shut down the agency. They had not, you know, called a, no work can happen because Paul is out. And I eventually realized that if my job as director of volunteers does, there was to help volunteers understand how precious they were. And if my job on the management team was to help the staff understand how important and precious they were. And if our mission at AIDS Network was to help people value their health, then, oh my gosh, don't I need to show them? Don't I need to practice what I preach? And so I start. I took sick days and I understood that. The other limit that came right in two, three weeks into my job is lunchtime in, in, in um, 
at the agency was so fun for me because I was getting to go in the back into the little break room and sit down and break bread with, well, in my case, heat up healthy choice microwave lunches and sit with these case managers that I had been working with for years as a volunteer working with clients. And now I got to be with them and get to know them. And I was like their colleague. And this is what I learned real quick, that sometimes they vent about their clients. And sometimes they say things that were not nice. And I was like, oh, you know, they, they need to vent. Okay, okay. And at one point, there was this one day where they were talking about a client that I actually happened to know um, who wasn't a super amazing person all the time. I mean, it was amazing all the time, but it was sometimes hard to work with. And they were saying some very not nice things. And I threw a hissy fit. And I just need to tell you that my people sometimes are known for the drama. And I remember putting down my healthy choice, plum favor, as I remember anyway. And I said, I cannot believe that you are talking about a client this way. I came to this agency because of how much you all cared about clients. And right now, I don't think you care at all. Ugh. And I will tell you, if I had been in that room, I would have snapped me. And thankfully, Rudy, the lead case manager, who I'm still Facebook friends with, her partner, Marta, I'm still connected to, and both of them were in the room that day. And I will never forget how kindly Rudy set down her sandwich and said to me with a smile, Paul, in here, we don't care about our clients so that out there we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember thinking, huh? Because when I was a residence hall manager, when I was an RA, I was living where I was working and you were always on call. And I was raised by a nurse who, who was gonna possibly get called at any point, who, who, who did CPR at the church picnic once and saved someone's life, you know, who is sort of always on, on call. When I didn't go home for Thanksgiving the first year when I was 27 years old and I wrote a letter, actually after my first year at AIDS Network, I went to a counselor and said, you know, those boundaries that you've been talking about, you don't have to go home for Thanksgiving. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> and in October, I sent my mom a nice little card that said, I'm not coming home. And I know that's hard. I'm trying to set some boundaries for myself and take care of myself. And she wrote this beautiful card back. It said, Paul, I, I wish she would have said, I understand. She says, I guess I have no choice in the matter. I've never understood boundaries. They seem like walls to me. She wrote, I want you to know I, will, I love you always. I will work on liking you later, dot, dot, dot. Maybe in my next lifetime, ha, ha, ha. Hmm, parts, perhaps. And, well, and I will say, my mama did not learn boundaries in nursing. She didn't pick them up from somebody else. So sometimes we got to learn them on our own. And, and we'll get to that. Physical boundaries in terms of touch. Some people break out and talk about sexual boundaries. But certainly that's an obvious type of boundary that we're talking about um, and space boundaries. I at first sort of invented this because what one of the things I discovered that was helpful to me just before I went to AIDS Network is I realized that I had some friends that worked with me in residence life and housing and worked on campus. 
And I had some friends that didn't. And I started to notice that Madison, if you know, if you don't know, this is divided into the west side and the east side. And there's the West Town Mall that has all the little uh, restaurants around it and the East Town Mall all with all the stuff around it. And I realized that when I went to the east side Applebee's, I always had a better, calmer, get out of my work mode more than when I went to the west side Applebee's. And I realized it was because I would often go with my students to, to the West Side, or I would go with colleagues to the West Side um, Applebee's. And it was usually my non-work friends who lived on the East Side that I would go with over East. So pretty soon, what I started doing is protecting the East Side. And that was my place where I go to turn off my brain from work mode. And I certainly got reinforced this when I went to Madison or when I went to work at AIDS Network and they had this cool thing where you went to work and then stay with me, you left work. Like, I was like, how does that work exactly? What do you mean I might not have to have an eight o'clock meeting in my apartment? Very important that we honor space boundaries. Do you have a place in your home? Even if you work from home, do you have a place from your home that's sacred from thinking about work, bringing work, using email that's work-related? Having, you know, as somebody who works out of his home again, it's really important that I, I leave my office and I tend to leave my laptop in here. And if it comes out because Jamie and I are researching something, I can do it. But boy, that email better stay shut. And I've been busted. Uh, you know, I will be after dinner. I just run back here to do something. All of a sudden, I'll, he'll go, what are you doing? And I'll go, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do we need boundaries? They help us manage stress. They help us boost our self-worth, our self-worth. Now, I can't, we don't have time to go into this tangent. Some places said it boosted your self-esteem. And this one article made a distinction between your self-esteem and your self-worth. And I liked the point that the article was making that how valuable we think we are is directly tied to how easily we give ourselves away. And that the more we say, hey, I've only got so many minutes. Let me pause for a second before I make a, a, give, give it away. And the other thing that they really can do is improve our relationships with other people and with ourselves. Because if you, if you only give out yeses and then you let people down or you're, you're burned out so you can't deliver, um, even if it seems like the mean thing to say no or to limit access in some ways, your yeses just end up being so much more golden, so much more precious. And, uh, and, and, perceived as valuable. And why don't we have them? I'll just quickly, the common reasons, lack of modeling. Somebody, our, our previous boss didn't have them or, or our parents, are, are, we didn't learn them from, from places. We were, I think, especially women in our society are taught to be nice um, and that it, the nice thing to do is to say yes and it's impolite or it's rude to, to, to decline an invitation. Um, an invitation is not a command. Uh, I remember Carol Burnett on an interview with Larry King, I was a little kid and, and he was asking her something about success. And she said, things got better for me when I learned that no was a complete sentence. 
And I've since heard that credited to many other people, but I know, I don't know who Carol heard it from, but I know it was Carol Burnett that taught me no is a complete sentence. Shut up, that's some good stuff. The other thing I will say is that the tendency a lot of times is to blame other people on poor boundaries. And I think it is true that sometimes people try to poke at us and poke at us. My theory on why we get into trouble with boundaries is conflicting internal needs. There's a part of us that wants boundaries. There's a part of us that wants um, to take more control of our time or our space or whatever. But another part has another need. We need to be needed sometimes. We like to be liked. Um, we want to be wanted. And so sometimes those parts of us that are wanting love, wanting respect, wanting whatever, might make some different decisions. And once we start to tune in and be aware of that, we can't always change the people around us, but we can help the inner parts of us align and make sure they're on the same page. And uh, what happens without these? We feel lost, just like if you don't know where the boundaries are, if you don't know where the trail is when you're hiking, you're gonna get lost without boundaries, we feel lost. We get burned and we get burned out. Eventually we abandon ourselves. We give ourselves all away, we use ourselves up and then we don't have any capacity for taking care of ourselves because we're so spent. And these wonderful magical things that sometimes seem mean or rude to us start to look a lot more like friends. And I will tell you, I had forgotten last night and someone quickly Googled for me, the Cartman drama triangle has been around, I think it was come up in the 60s to talk about some archetypes in conflict in, in family and other interpersonal drama. The way it was taught to me was that when you're in a helping relationship with somebody, the helper and the helpy, that if you're not careful, the dynamic can shift from, hey, I'm helping out with you, to you to I'm a rescuer and the person I'm helping becomes a victim. And that is problematic because of the scripts that, get, that start happening inside. If you could hop inside the, the mind of a victim, somebody who's gone from needing a little extra help to, to being stuck in a role that they didn't necessarily want, help, I don't do the things I wanna do. I feel helpless. I don't even do things for myself that I am capable of doing. I am scared, I need other people. I feel stupid and out of control and like a child. Meanwhile, over on the other side, the rescuer is getting frustrated too. How dare you keep me from doing what I want? Stay away from me. I don't need your help. I am, sorry, I'm giving the, I'm doing the wrong one. <laughs> I'm good. We can do this. Sorry, that last <laughs> set I, was when one of them jumped into the next stage. The rescuer says, I do things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. I do more than my share of the cooperative work. I don't express my feelings. I offer my help when none is needed. Other people need me, I hope. I feel competent. I feel right. I feel in charge. I feel parental which sometimes feels like a good thing. And here's where I screwed up. What happens, what makes this a triangle is that one or both of the people end up becoming a persecutor. And I'm gonna read these again. This is what happens when the victim is victimized so much that they become the persecutor. How dare you keep me from doing what I want? Stay away from me. I don't need your help. 
I am angry. I don't need anyone. Shame on you for making this this way. And then meanwhile, over the rescuer might end up developing similar thoughts and feelings. How dare you keep me from doing what I want? Stay away from me. I'm sick of helping you. I'm angry. I don't need to help anyone. Shame on you for causing me to be this way. And the thing is, let me reset my timer one more time for our last little block of time. Um, this is worth hearing. I'm, I'm guessing as I was over-dramatizing some of that, that you heard echoes of times when you were maybe in each of those roles. And one of the great things I learned, thankfully, starting 30 years ago when I was a volunteer at AIDS Network is we were required to attend as volunteers um, support groups where our job was to be a little suspicious of about the boundaries that our colleagues, our fellow volunteers had set with their clients. And, and, and we would be like, what do you mean you invited your client to your birthday party? You know, like, like we'd be like, what you mentioned that that was the third time this week that you called them and that you were feeling a little like, let, let's talk about that a little more. And to help us have checks and balances about the victim rescuer persecutor triangle, especially when there's feelings of burnout or resentment that oftentimes this role has, has gotten quite out of balance. And I think the other thing I haven't figured out where to put in this presentation that I'm gonna to remember to say to you right now is a lot of us helpers tend to frame our helping in the angelic ways. So it's like, well, I can't help it. I, I just like to help people. And it's helpful if, if we ourselves or someone who cares about us can say yes, and you're making it about you right now, aren't you? If we cannot recognize the internal needs that we are trying to take care of or taking care of in our helping, we are not best serving the person we're trying to help and we're really not serving ourselves where we're at. There, there's some delusion, there's some illusion going on. And we have egos and it's okay to have an ego and it's okay to want some ego gratification. Of course, a reason to keep on doing these Zoomy Zooms is that you all send me awesome emails. Some of you send me dollars, shut up, that's awesome. If I wasn't getting anything out of these Zoomy Zooms, guess what, friends? You wouldn't do it. Now, am I wanting to be of service to you? Absolutely. Am I trying to remember that this is me getting to spend some time with you more than you getting to spend some time with me? Yes. That helps me keep my ego in check. Come on, Wesselman. You're here for them. They're not here for you. So please be willing to be curious about the ways in which you might be putting your needs so far ahead of the person you're helping, but masking it so it looks like you're being so unselfish. You're not. With our few minutes left, there's time for, for me to outline this very simple steps that I had never jotted down before, but I realized I'm like, I wanna be able to say, what is it I do when I set, set boundaries? Well, the first thing is to recognize that I have limits. So if you haven't yet realized, I only have so many minutes in the day, so many hours in the week. I only have so many minutes of caring in me. You're at step one, you got homework. Step two is then to say, what are the time boundaries I wanna put in? 
at what time will I not respond to an email unless somebody is bleeding or unless somebody's job is like on the line? Uh, are there some emotional limits? Am I willing to talk about this and not talk about this with this other person? Am, am, am I willing to go there some days and not other days? What are the boundaries I need to create? And then you have to assert your boundaries and you have to do it consistently, even though it's true that you're allowed some days to wanna to do something and other days not. So, so again, this is a complicated thing, but if you wanna get better with boundaries, the best thing you can do is practice with boundaries. I'm just remembering a wonderful time when Joan set a boundary with me when I sent Joan and a bunch of other people say, hey, can you, who wants to hop on this call uh, to talk about this, this article that we had all read? And Joan was so sweet. She emailed me back. She goes, oh, I would love to. I've got some other things going on right now and I need to decline. And of course, it stung a little tiny bit. And then I was like, shut up. How cool is it that if I ask her, I don't have to, I don't have to know that it's okay that she wants to do it before I can wait and let, I can let Joan be in charge of Joan. And let me tell you, when you've got a few thousand people that you're trying to take care of, it's so much easier if you let them take care of themselves and maybe you offer some things here and there and let them decide. Genius. Review them, evaluate, how is it going? Maybe I need to reset some. Do you need to do this once a week, once a month, quarterly check-in? I don't know, sometime. And then finally, ask for help when you need it. Uh, I, I went to a time management presentation at Bowling Green State University in the fall of 1990. I can still picture the handout. Ron Parton was the speaker. It was 101 tips for time management. He went through all this stuff. But one of the things he said is that everyone needs a no agent. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you're wondering if you should say no to something, you can call me. Now, listen to me. This was before email. We did not have email addresses. He said, you are allowed to call me on my office phone. He put his, his number was on. He goes, call me and ask me if you can do it. And I'll tell you no. And then you can just call whoever that person is and say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. My agent said no. <laughs> and that's what I want the last part of this presentation to be about. Um, improving the quality and the quantity of your nose. And here, there's three steps. I am so proud to tell you that these are the same three steps that I found on the handout that I use for a presentation I gave in 1992. And that these have stayed true and these have been my friend for a long, long time. And the first one is you have to consider your options. Most of us feel pressured to say yes we think that yes is good and no is bad. Listen to me. You have a finite amount of time. You have a finite amount of energy. If Angie calls me and says, can you help me out with this for 10 minutes? If I didn't help her yesterday or last week, that is a new block of 10 minutes. I was doing something with that 10 minutes yesterday and last week. Before I say yes or no to her, it is my obligation to her, to myself, and to anyone else that I've ever made an obligation to, to say, if I say yes to Angie, who am I saying no to? Who is not gonna get the same quality or quantity of call? Is it my sweetie? Is it myself? Is it this other gig that I'm working on? And if I say no, 
even if I feel bad, even if maybe there's a little twinge on the other side where somebody, I let somebody down. If I say no to Angie, who gets a better yes? And I will tell you that you can almost never do that in the moment. That's too hard. And again, if you've got conflicting parts, have you had this happen where somebody says, can you help out with this? And you can think of 10 reasons why you should say yes. And then the next morning you can think of 50 reasons you should have said no, but you already said yes. If you've had that happen, you need to know this second rule. You have to delay your response. Almost never should you be allowed to say yes or no in the moment. I need some time to think about it. I wanna make sure I can give this the careful attention it deserves. I need to check with my boss to make sure that there's room on my plate. Or I need to check with my team, my colleagues. We have this agreement, nothing goes on the group plate without checking in. I need to check with my spouse. I need to check with my kids. I need to check with Joe. They don't need to know Joe is your parrot. <laughs> you need to check with Paul and you can, we have email, you can email me. Hey, Paul, can I do this thing? Mm -mm. No. <laughs> and then the third one is you've got to script your no. I'm going to give you a link in a just second that has the, the no's that I'm reading to you. And I just went and did a, found a web, two websites that have a hundred ways to say no. I found one great list of 20 ways to say no that I'm going to start using. Thank you for asking me to help with this. It is an honor to be asked, even if I won't say yes at this time. If you can ask again next week, I might be able to say yes right now is the answer. Oh, you need to know right now? Oh, that's easy. If you need to know now, I can give you that right away. No. You can give me a day to think about it. I might be able to help you. This is such a great opportunity. It sounds fabulous. Unfortunately, I just don't have any room on my plate. And you, des you deserve to get the best me. Do you remember the me that you saw at that event? I can't show up on that day. I could physically be there, but I will have been too many places in the, in the weeks beforehand. And I just, I just learned the hard way. Sorry, I won't be able to do that. There are lots of ways to say no. Um, I am going to put a link in Paul's Ways to Say No in the chat window and in the um, areas of the, what is it? The link section of the video and the audio. And I will tell you, ooh, let me make sure it opens. Yes, um, thanks to the, we have the folks from last night, a bunch of people clicked on it and only one person said, um, Paul, it says request access. I forgot to unlock it for everyone to look at it. So it has the three steps, it has the nine things. And then this was actually an email that I, I, I had set up, an auto-reply email that I set up for years. And I dusted off um, the last week and checked all the links. Only two of the links were still good. And I, I Googled, I went and found a bunch of ways. And I will tell you, if you're looking at the document, the first one that says 20 ways to say no, it's actually an old, it's, it's, it's kind of sad HTML. It has 20 ways to say no, but it has all these cool supporting variations under each of the 20 and it's amazing. Um, and the other one, the how to say no, a guide to saying no politely, the Grammarly one, it were, were particularly good. But honestly, I picked up things from all of them. And so I encourage you, um, I encourage you to visit those and try, um, try them out. Over-prioritizing other people's needs and under-prioritizing yours. When I got done with my presentation on Sunday night, I realized there was one thing I wanted to squeeze in that I hadn't figured out where to put it. Um, 
I had to send my friend from college who was an RA with me, who was one of my first person that, that college that I told that I was gay. And she said, God loves me. And it was so cool. Um, she took me to my first gay bar. And now get this, two trans kids. Yes. Thank you, God, for helping um, her get all the things she needed to know to be ready for, for LGBTQIA holding on for the next letter to be announced soon. And I'm going to get, that's terrible. I'm going to have to bleep that off. Um, we have a discussion every year. What letter should we add? Um, but she, one of one of her, she's a nurse. She's a, she's a fierce mama bear. She's got 20 something kids. Sorry. She's got kids that are 20 something years old. She does not have 20 something kids. Boundaries, you have a call online too. Um, and she tends to under-prioritize her own needs and over-prioritize other people. And I had to send her a monkey. I sent her a stuffed monkey. And I said, anytime you have an urge to get in somebody else's business, I want you to remember that phrase that I taught you. Not my circus, not my monkey. And then you hug that monkey and you know that I'm loving you from a distance, but that's not your circus. That's not your monkey. L-I-G, let it go. And I will tell you what, when I got to visit my friend and hug her, she told me she still got that monkey. She uses it and it has helped her. She sometimes goofs, but more and more she's able to remember, aha, I have inserted myself into somebody else's business. Why have I done that? Because I have a long habit of under-prioritizing my own needs. And I'll tell you, again, we don't have time to do this today, but I will tell you that... Um, Ooh, this is a good, somebody's put a cool graphic. I'll look at that in a second in the chat window. Um, I will tell you that this takes practice. We, we, we have got um, to understand that this takes practice. And it's often the case that confronting our own stuff is sometimes so scary and so um, unpleasant for us that we're afraid of what we might find. And that's why it's so tempting, I think, to sometimes focus on other people's stuff. And if we're afraid of loneliness, if we're afraid of our sadness, our depression, our anxiety, something that's going on, we can often find enormous numbers of ways to keep ourselves busy so that we're not dealing with our own stuff. And I just want you to remember, we can do that for a while at a cost. Mm -hmm. Do you remember me telling you that we have a finite amount of time? Guess what? We have a finite amount of time. <laughs> and I have to recognize that there is never enough time to tell you everything that I want to tell you about boundaries or any other topic. And you know what else I know? There is always enough time to get to what's important. This isn't all the content on compassion fatigue. This is a the deepest dive that I've ever done on the topic of boundaries. And I can promise you, I'm still learning. I'm still practicing. I, um, I don't think I'll ever have a PhD in boundaries. I, I am very proud of my bachelor's, master's, whatever it is. And I'm very good at it in certain situations because I practice, practice, practice. And I'm still a work in progress. There's my third timer. And because I would love to keep the video recording to 45 minutes, I'm going to say right now, you all don't have to run away just yet, but for people listening, thank you so much. The links are hopefully right in the liner notes for the video and the audio. If you're not a Patreon peep,
those are the folks who pitch in money every month to help me keep unleashing lots and lots of rip, uh, ripples, Google Patreon ripples guy, and consider joining us. And with that, for now, I will say goodbye. Oh, no, let, I know, before we do that, let me, um, let me unpin myself, remove spotlight. Oh, let me stop sharing my slides too. And could you all do me a favor real quick and just wave goodbye to the screen so we can wave goodbye to the, the video people watching us. Goodbye.